the, the Word becoming flesh, Christ in the flesh, God incarnate, because of that, because you were willing to fulfill a plan before the foundation of the world of coming into this world, always facing the cross. All on our behalf. How much you really love us. Thank you. Open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to be going... uh, Back to the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, it was the verses read this morning, but again, I already mentioned to the kids, I want to focus very specifically on verse 14. And it's, it's so powerful when you think about it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, and it's referring to the, the disciples here, we have seen, but... It, I think it extends to us today. We have seen His glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. We're familiar with a verse. I frequently refer to it out of Philippians chapter 2, starting with the first, uh, verse 6, 7, and 8, talking about the fact that Jesus, it says, emptied Himself. He didn't consider being equal with God as something he had to grasp. Why? Because he had it. It was something that was there in place. But yet, because he was taking the place of the Son, that's all, you know, the Son, it says that he's always been in that relationship with the Father eternally. And so he took the position as the Son to come into this world. So he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Of, of, of the, the glory due His name, in a sense. Uh, all the recognition. He, you know, everything that was, was due Him was set aside, if you will. And when He became flesh, He became a man. In fact, Isaiah says this man was not even someone that you would take notice of. In every way, a man. And it was witnessed and testified to by John. The scriptures reading in 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 first in John chapter one, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Before Jesus took on his ministry, John the Baptist was out proclaiming that there was the coming of the Messiah, the one who would bring the baptism of God in such a way that there would be the repentance of sin. And he was bringing the awesomeness of salvation. He was the one. John was the forerunner, John the Baptist. And, of course, we talked about John the Baptist over the last couple of weeks. John the Baptist, son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth and Mary, cousins. I always love the, the whole way everything ties together. Scripture also tells us very clearly that as he, uh, you know that he was in the beginning before time. That's why John starts off with in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Meaning as the beginning as the time happened, he was already there. He's outside of time. He's eternal. He's God the Son. 
Sometimes we look at the Trinity, it's so hard to comprehend fully. But I think in my simple way of looking at things, uh, we see God the Father who is totally, you know, He's defined over and over again as spirit, not flesh. And He's always spoken of as in heaven. We never hear Him speaking directly about God the Father anywhere else. Now, sometimes we think of God Jehovah and His presence in the, 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 the tabernacle, but that's something else. You know, the, the, the idea is His presence in heaven. And God the Son, we're going to see clearly this morning, why, what does God the Father is revealed physically through Christ the Son. God the Son. How is God everywhere present if we always speak of Him in heaven? Through His Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's more to it than that, but I keep it simple. And uh, I see that here is that picture. God the Son becoming flesh with one purpose to ultimately to glorify the Father and to complete the plan that the Father has put together. But ultimately with multiple things attached to that. Revealing the love of God for us. The Word became flesh. And it's not just the idea, you know, this idea of flesh is, is flesh and bones just like ours. It's like I was sharing with the kids. When he was growing up, he had all the growing up things that we went through. And, and I, you know, it's one of those things we sing Silent Night and he's quiet in the manger, but do you think he ever cried? Yeah, I do. You know, he was a. And it tells us very clearly in the last couple of verses of, of Luke chapter 2 that. He, was, he grew up just like any other person. He grew up in, in physical strength. Yeah, he grew up in, in, in stature, in other words. He grew up in, in, in relationship with God and in relationship with men. He grew spiritually in the sense of understanding who he is in Christ. We don't know at what point all of it came together for him, but we know that it, it was something that he grew in. And he, and he grew in relationship with men. In other words, his social life. He grew physically, socially, spiritually. He was really a man. He was really God. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. God is with us. He dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is, is a, a term that some, some scriptures will say he tabernacled. <laughs> you know, uh, some of the, the uh, uh, verse editions uh, of, the, of the Scripture say He tabernacled. He, he tented with us. And, I, and I've heard a lot of things about it, but I, the thing that we really need to understand is the picture of the tent, and I think it's the one that Paul gives us that is appropriate here. In, Ro, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks about the fact that we live in these tents. We long for a time when we give up these tents and live in our permanent dwellings, our permanent resurrected bodies. We long for that. But Paul uses the picture of tents. He was a tent maker. He understood it. Tents give up. You know, if they're frail, they, have their, they, they, they feel, they, they, they decay, they, they come apart. You know, and he was just saying that's the life of a person. Jesus was in a tent. God the Father, uh, Son, Emmanuel, God is with us 
in a tent just like ours. He dwelt among us. Doesn't mean that, you know, he wasn't set off on some far hill and some far castle. He literally dwelt among the people of Israel. He walked among them. He, he, He walked all over. The the the, Medit- uh, the the Palestinian area, uh, it's it's an amazing thing to think. I, I try to think of it just because of the way I I am. I try to think of it from his side of walking on what he created. Because you go back to John chapter one, not only was it saying that that he was in the Word and was in, in the beginning, but it says everything that was created was created through him. The Word, God the Son, became flesh, tented among us, and yet, unlike any man before, or since, or ever, (laughs) He was full of glory and full of grace. And this idea of full is completely filled up. Nothing lacking. Now, we get to experience and share in His glory and His grace but we're far from complete in it, even as God sees us eternally. But He is lacking nothing in glory and grace. God's nature, His, the very glory of God in Him, and God's love and mercy and God's grace fully in Him. And because this glory and grace is fully in Christ, then it also becomes something that we can draw from. Look at verse 16 of John chapter 1. And from His fullness, fullness of what? Fullness of mercy and grace. From His fullness, we have all received, and it's referring to these those who believe in Christ, all have received grace upon grace. Now, I've heard a lot of very complicated explanations of the word grace upon grace. Again, I'm the simple person. I like to keep it simple. Grace is in the sense of God's eternal grace that He has given to those who have confessed Him and have revealed you know, said, yes, you're my Savior. There's a grace, that grace upon a grace that He had given everybody. Think about this. We call it kind of a universal grace or a general grace. And the idea that at what point in time did every one of us deserve the death penalty for our sins? Does anybody know? Yeah, from the very first time we had a moral consciousness of right and wrong and did wrong. How many of you died? (laughs) Well, we died in one sense, separation from God, but we're still physically here. Why? God's grace. But upon that grace comes the grace of salvation because Jesus was full of glory and grace. He could give it to us. So we received His, all who believe have received this grace from Him. The fullness puts Him, the Word, the, uh, Christ, the Son of God, in a unique position. The only one who can explain God and make Him known. Look at 
verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, referring to the Son, who is at the Father's side. He's made Him known. One of the key things that Jesus came to do was to let us see the love of the Father and His grace and His mercy. God so loved that we might see that. Jesus came to reveal that. Jesus made it very, very clear. You can't make it any clearer than He said it Himself. In John chapter 14, verse 9. Speaking with the disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's an that's a given. It's an absolute. It's there's, there's no other, you know, it's there. Jesus in those same chapters showing that because he is the one full of the the, the grace and the glory, because he is the one full. He is the only one that could bring salvation. So Jesus also says in John 14 that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Me, you've had the opportunity to see salvation. If you've received Me, you have salvation. And under no other name, according to Acts chapter 4, is anyone saved but that of Jesus Christ. His becoming flesh. I, I put, you know, here for me it was Him becoming flesh equals the Gospel, the good news, the Christmas story. And then as I was going through that, I, I, I was always thinking, I think of the, I don't know about you, but I kind of think of the Christmas story as somehow like the beginning. And then I realized as I was really looking at this, it's not the beginning, it's the middle. Think of what first... Peter uh, wrote in uh, uh, see it's chapter uh, well it's chapter one. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God and who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope were in God. Before the foundation of the world. I normally go to Ephesians chapter 1 and talk about before the foundation of the world, the plan of his of salvation was there. But here Peter's acknowledging the same thing. Before the foundation of the world. And I think, so there's the beginning of the plan. Before the foundation of the world. And if anything, Christmas is the middle. He comes in the flesh to fulfill what was talked about before the time began between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the end part is new heaven, new earth, where we all participate, all who have confessed, all who believe in their hearts, participate together at the marriage feast and eternity begins. That's the end part. So actually Christmas is the middle part of the story. We're celebrating something already in progress. Part of a perfect plan. You've heard me share it as the idea of, of God writing a symphony and each, each instrument having its part 
And, when, and, and, and again, it's one of those things. Sometimes you can leave out a part in, 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 in a song and, and you're not, if you never heard it that way, you don't, you didn't, you don't miss it. And I thought of that as me before I was saved. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I heard some parts that I'd never heard before and it made the symphony more complete. And, all, and I realized there, there's, there's a, a creator. <laughs> there's somebody who's written this symphony. And, and the reality is, is that it's, it's been revealed in Christ. In fact, I'm convinced, that, uh, the way I like to say it, is that God wrote a symphony for His Son that has been brought out since before the foundation of the world, completed in the new heaven and new earth, but goes for eternity. And we'll be listening to the, the symphony play on, and it'll never sound old. But it'll always sound complete. <laughs> it will be finally together in its fullness. But as I was thinking about that, then I thought of all the parts that come together to, 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 to make a symphony. And it's interesting that today's Daily Bread talks about this very thing. It kind of caught me off guard in a sense, and I'll be reading that in a minute. But uh, all the things that come together to make it happen so that everything sounds just right at the right place, at the right point, at the right time. And that's what God has done. There isn't anything that's out of place in, this, in God's plan. Everything has happened just as He planned it and, just as, and it will be completed just as He planned it. And always, always at just the right time. Never late, never early. Galatians chapter 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons of God, He sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What a powerful picture. Just the fullness of time, the perfect time. And I, I've, you know, I've heard over and over again, you know, the, the, the time was perfect because of the, the, the roads of, of the Romans were in place. The time was perfect because the, the Greek language was pretty much universal. And, and numbers of other things that go with that. And I, and I don't discount that at all. God's timing is perfect and those things were in place. But I think it's bigger than that. You know, if it was just to get the word out and communicate the, the presence of God and who He is, why wouldn't He have picked now when He could just put it online and everybody would know immediately? You know, I mean, you can kind of think about it. What it was was that it was at the exact time of history in the war of, it's, that's outside of our understanding that's going on in the spiritual warfare and all the things. It was at the exact perfect time to put an end to Satan's reign and victory over any uh, uh, over over God's people. Put it at just put it to death at the cross, and ultimately, Satan is crushed, meaning his authority completely demolished, done away with, as he's thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation at the end of time. That's because Christ came at the very perfect time of history, spiritually, physically, in every way. Because, you know, it's interesting. The gospel in the first century went beyond Roman roads, went beyond the Greek language. 
It went into India. It went into Asia. It went into other places. So, while those things helped, it was, I think it's, it's tied to the spiritual symphony at just the right crescendo, at the, just the right place. Boom. God says, now, this will make it work perfectly. God is never late. I just hang on to that. God is never late. My timing, I'll tell you what, I get so anxious. I get so undone when I can't fix something. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Kathy's put it up with that for 44 years too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just that, that reality that God had. And what He had in place. He had the people in place. He had the location in place. He had provision in place, if you will. I, I think of, of the people, Mary, Joseph, descendants of David, still able to, to be identified as such because that was an extremely important part of the plan. King David's line being recognized in the in, in incarnation. He was, all, he was also the son of God, son of David. As a result, Mary and Joseph, their lineage took them both. Luke and Matthew tell both lineages, took them to, to Bethlehem at a most inconvenient time for traveling. Winter and Mary pregnant. But Scripture said that he must be born in Bethlehem. So God put in place a greedy Caesar who needed a census. See how this, this, this symphony, even those who have nothing to do with God on a personal basis of loving Him or recognizing Him, God still uses. Provision. There was a, uh, the, the need for them to be able to travel to Egypt. That was an expensive venture. How are they going to do that? Three wise men. Gold, incense, and myrrh. More than enough. All came together. Even God even used the stars of the heavens to bring about His purpose. This symphony is mind-boggling if you start to try to put all the pieces together. Again, absolute perfect time for the birth of Christ. All believers are part of this plan in the spiritual way in the sense of God's giving us our salvation. If we've confessed Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ, Son of God, come in the flesh, and our hearts receive that, it says in, in Romans that we're saved. We have the promise of eternal life. That, that means that, that idea of eternal life is sharing and of the of the, the the wealth of Christ joint heirs with Jesus sharing of that eternally in a new heaven and a new earth John 3:16 becomes the the, the 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 statement that just always keeps coming back to us why is it shown everywhere in all the baseball stadiums and football stadiums and all these other places it's because it is one of those foundational things God so loved God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whoever what? Believes in him will have eternal life. Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is, a, is, is revealed over and over and over again. I get so frustrated when I hear liberal people thinking the God of love would never send anybody away from heaven. It's not what Scripture says. The God of love went to the cross so that people could come to heaven if they would but confess and believe and receive God's symphony instead of their own music. So because of God's love, we have eternal life. His plan, before the beginning, we're still in the other side of the middle, but we're still in the middle section. But we know the conclusion. Each, everything unfolding just at the right time. You know how many times people have talked about the end of days? Armageddon, the end of the world. Even since I've been a Christian, there's at least four key dates going back into the 80s where, where prominent men of God have stood forth and said, this must be it. It wasn't the right time. It's still unfolding. God is not late. He's not, he's not reluctant. It's crescendoing. And the crescendo is getting louder. Roars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all those things that Jesus said were going to be the birth pains. And I see that as this crescendo getting louder. The music is getting louder and louder. At some point, the trumpet's going to sound and in such a way, and at that point, we're all caught up with it. I just, it's such a powerful picture. I need to rest in this a lot more than I do. Because as I rest in it, what I'm acknowledging is that God is able to see me through. I get so frustrated, like I said, day to day. Right now, I'm, I'm frustrated with dealing with Social Security. Yeah, I'm 65 this year. <laughs> dealing with Medicare. All those kinds of things. And ask Caddy, I've been on the phones. I've been getting stuff through the mail and back and forth and back and forth. I just thought I was going to have to go up to the office and say, hi, I'm ready. Shows you how simple I am. <laughs> but it's coming together. But it, it's not coming together in my time. But it is coming together in His time. If I could rest in that. I rested it with confidence that He came at the right time for, 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 for to be incarnate. I rest in confidence that He came at the exact right time to save me. I rest in... you know so. Why, you know, why can't I rest with this? It's because I keep taking it back. But I, my prayer for, for myself and for you as well, I know it's, it's, it's the same, is to rest with that confidence that God's so loved. He's got it orchestrated. He's got it together. And nothing will be accomplished late but at the perfect time. And it all comes to the fact that at the exact right time, God sent His Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace, glory and grace. 
which needs to cause me not only to grow in resting in Him, but to grow in, in, in loving Him. To love Him more than I do right now. To know Him better. To desire Him more. And to convey that to the people I'm around. I guess what I'm conveying is the great commandment. Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's our response to the Word became flesh. The other thing I wanted to say this morning is that Christmas is more than a holiday. It's more than, and not everybody even gets this anymore, it's more than time off from work. I'm finding more and more that, that, that it's just another day to make money whether it's Thanksgiving Day that's part of Black Friday, which didn't turn out to be in the black, it was in the red. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you know, the idea is, is that it's more than a holiday. It's the very central part of God's eternal plan for your life, for my life, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God like to read to you as we take this as kind of the segue into communion. This is from today's Daily Bread. If you've already read it, you'll get to hear it a second time. The conductor stood on the podium, his eyes scanning the choir and orchestra. The singers arranged the music in their folders, found a comfortable position for standing, and held the folder where they could see the conductor just over the top. Orchestra members positioned their music on the stand, found a comfortable position in their seats, and then sat still. The conductor waited and watched until everyone was ready. Then with a downbeat of his baton, the sound of Handel's overture to Messiah filled the cathedral. If if you've ever heard that done by a full orchestration live, it is a blessing. With the sound swirling around me, I felt I was immersed in Christmas. When God, at just the right moment, signaled the downbeat and set in motion an overture that started with the birth of the Messiah, the high priest of the good things to come. Every Christmas, as we celebrate Christ's first coming with glorious music, I am reminded that God's people, like a choir and orchestra members, are getting ready for the next downbeat of the conductor when Christ will come again. On that day, we will participate with Him in the final movement of God's symphony of redemption, making all things new. In anticipation, we need to keep our eyes on the conductor and make sure we are ready. The advent of Christ celebrates His birth and anticipates His return. I'd ask the ushers to come to pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
I want to go back to Hebrews. Uh, well, I'd, it, Hebrews was mentioned in the in the verses in the daily bread here, and uh, I want to go to it in verse uh, chapter four. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The idea of Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, coming to dwell in flesh. Flesh is a word for literally the idea of flesh and blood. We think of flesh and bone, but it includes the idea of the blood. He came... In the flesh. He says the bread represents his flesh. He said that our, his flesh would be put to pain and suffering for us. It would be broken for us. So that we could have eternal life. And so he used the bread at the supper that he shared on the night that he was arrested. With the disciples he said, this is my body broken for you. So often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And as a man tenting among us, he had the blood of man running through him. Scripture in Hebrews tells us very clearly that the life is in the blood. And he told us that his life would be poured out for us on the cross. And he used the cup to represent the blood poured out. And he asked us as often as we would drink this cup to do it in remembrance of him. Father, again we come with thanksgiving, grateful hearts, knowing that the God of all creation came literally into this world and dwelt among us in the flesh, in a tent, just like ours, that He might purchase the mercy and grace that we so desperately need. And as we rest in His mercy and His grace, we are told now we can come with confidence before Your throne to request Your mercy and Your grace in every need we have. We thank You so much for who You are, what You've done, and what is yet to happen. And we rest even with that with confidence, knowing that the God of all creation has a plan for the completion of it all. We look forward to the crescendo of the trumpet day. Thank you. Go with us now, Lord, that we might be able to take this joy, this peace, everywhere we go, in a sense of, of especially right now, I think of, of the shopping and all of the other things that are going on. 
that we might carry this confidence of peace and grace and mercy with us in such a way that we are able to share it with everyone around us, even if it's only with a smile. Thank you in Jesus.